This morning, if you have a copy of the scriptures, turn over to Mark chapter 10 with me. We'll continue where we've been going over uh, these summer months. We'll finish up a little bit later this fall. Overcoming obstacles today. There's about four sections in there we're going to look at, so I'm going to kind of put it on rapid fire. And I want to talk to you about the children. We didn't get there last weekend, so we wanted to come back today. We are serious about children here at Christ Community, and our children's minister is with us in the service for the first time in a long time. Because That's right. Thank the Lord for Tiffany. She's always next door leading children in all kind of pursuits of Christ. And we have a lot of leaders over there right now with your kids, and we're grateful for them. This passage here, if you'll look there in chapter 10, starting there in verse 13, one day some parents brought their children to Jesus so he could touch and bless them. But the disciples scolded, listen to this, the parents for bothering him. When Jesus saw what was happening, he was angry with his disciples, and he said to them, let the children come to me. Don't stop them, for the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like these children. I'll tell you the truth, anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. Then he took the children in his arms, he placed his hands on their heads, and he blessed them. And you know, that's what we do at baby dedication. We take young infants, and we bless them, and we commit them to the lord and then over their years as they grow up through children and through student years our goal is that we would present them and grow them and develop them and help mature them in the riches of jesus christ and the church said it's called christian education it's called christian discipleship it's it's so cool i love when my grandkids getting and listening to their little voices as i did their their mom several years ago when she would come home from a lesson from a, a teacher that had planned to try to get god's word to them this section's called the Magna Carta of children. It's, it's this thing that kids are, have always been and always will be highly appreciated and highly valued to Jesus Christ. Jesus loves the kids. In one section he says, hey, it'd be better to tie a millstone around your neck, as we looked at earlier, and be tossed into the sea if you didn't receive these little kids. In this day, the, they, they would bring their children to the rabbi, and to the rabbi they would want a blessing for their home, but more specifically for their children. And uh, it would just be a, an awesome time that they would come and present them. And these kids would learn the Torah, the Old Testament, the, the law, the Pentateuch would become real to them. And this morning, it's no different. As Miss Susan said, some of these kids probably began to hear God's word for the first time or for a, in a way that they never heard it through American teenagers and through action and motions and song. But at the end of the day, we get God's word to kids in a language that they can hear, that somehow they can receive Jesus Christ for themselves. It's just amazing. Let's fill this outline with me. We serve our children first by evangelizing them. And let me say this to you. The church exists is a house of refuge and healing and worship. And that church exists to be a secondary phase, only secondary to the home. Your home is, should be the primary place for Christian education, where Jesus Christ is taught, where Christ is modeled. But we come alongside you. But our prayer is that you have the opportunity, along with us, to evangelize them. And there's something about little kids' hearts. They're just pliable. They absorb everything. If you don't think so, do some things that you don't want done and then let your kids go to Sunday school. We find out. I have been found out in Sunday school. You have been found out. It's amazing what, you talk, what they talk about. Just remember, those little eyes are watching. And yet, our parents have the, the, the privilege we do, the responsibility to evangelize them. But look at the second one. We serve our children by educating them. And one of the things that I, I remember studying, I went back over this stat, a Gallup survey said 19 out of 20 people 
will come to Christ by the time they've now shifted to the age of 25. But after that, after the age of 25, they say, and statistically, it's 1 in 10,000. And then when you go to 35, it's 1 in 50,000. At 45, you're 1 in 200,000. At 55, you're 1 in 300,000. And at 75, you're almost lost. It's 1 in 700,000. So it builds a great case that we should invest time and energy and money and prayers and nurturing to our little ones. And the church said, yes, right now there are people that I want to thank them for serving the life of Christ's community. For the ones that we don't even see and hear most of the time, but we're so grateful for their presence and we know they're there. So we evangelize, we educate, and we serve our children. The third one, by encouraging them. We encourage these little ones. Oh, how they need affirmation. How they're listening to us. The, the, the Ephesians uh, chapter 6, verse 4, the Apostle Paul says, bring them up in the admonition of the Lord. That's a great word, but we would use the word, bring them up in the encouragement of Christ Jesus and teach them to pray at an early age. Teach them to hear and to read God's word at an early age. Oh, I pray that at the end of the day, when our kids look back when they leave home, they go, Christ was supreme. He was important in our home. And you might say, well, you know, in our home, I'm the only Christian. Well, let it start with you. For, for Don and I, that's what it was in our case. We were both the first Christians in either one of our homes. And we were grateful for that. So we decided that we would start a legacy. And then with our children, watching our daughters come to faith in Jesus at an early age. And then getting and watching our young grandchildren prepare that they might receive Christ as their own. It just starts with one. Can you just say it just starts with one? And that's an encouragement for you that didn't grow up in this great legacy. See, sometimes I get a little jealous of my preacher friends over the years. They go, oh, I inherited my granddaddy's library and my daddy's library. They were great preachers of the gospel. And I go, oh, I won't tell you what I got of my daddy's. And but today, I have thousands of books here it is 36 years later and i have no sons but but i have son-in-laws and i have grandsons and oh i pray that one of them might rise up one day and say pop i'm going to be a preacher and i'm going blessed are you here are my books there's only one problem today when i used to dream of this i was so excited i thought this would be so awesome but now i realize they don't want them pop do you have it in digital form oh okay so I got all these heavy books that I have neck trouble because I've logged books around all my life. How about all the old people? Do y'all understand? Do you identify with me? Do y'all like books still? I love books. Man, you put a yellow sticker in a book, I'm like an alcoholic in an in 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 ABC store. I don't go there. But, man, I go in there, and if it says for sale, reduced, dude, I start, ah, da, 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 ba, ba, ba. love books. All right, let's keep going. So we encourage them daily. Listen to this. No greater blessing than a child to be saved when they're young. I really believe that. I like what D.L. Moody said one time. He returned from a preaching meeting and he reported. And they said, how was it, D.L.? He goes, we had two and a half conversions. They said, two and a half conversions. He goes, two adults and a child. And they said, what? Two adults and a child? That's two and a half. He goes, yeah, two children and an adult. He says, the children gave their whole life to Christ. The two adults, they gave what they had left. See, a child, man, they've got a whole life to live for the legacy of Jesus. That's why I love when our kids come to know the Savior. Do you, you remember this now? Remember every time we have a baby dedication and I say, and Lord, prepare them that they might receive Christ, that they might receive the blessed Savior for themselves, that we might rejoice with them when they come to know Jesus. 
That's what I love it when we baptize little kids. And here, we don't have like this age limit, like you have to be 12 years old or above. We'll baptize them younger, but when we do, we want to make sure they understand the gospel, okay? So, move down here. Let's go to verse 17. This is that section you've been like, well, we preached on divorce a few weeks ago. What else could be tough? This next section, you're probably going to get mad. Talk to Jesus, okay? Here it is, verse 17. As Jesus was starting out on his way up to Jerusalem, a man came running to him. He knelt down and asked, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked. Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. You must not cheat anyone. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, the man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since when I was young. And looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. There's still one thing you haven't done, he told him. And listen to this. Next line, underline it if you've got a Bible. Go and sell your possessions and give the money to the poor. You will have treasure in heaven. And then, come follow me. At this, the man's face fell, and he went away sad, for he had many possessions. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. This amazed them, but Jesus said again, Dear children, it's very hard to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were astounded that who in the world can be saved, they asked. And Jesus looked at them intently and said, humanly speaking, it's impossible, but not with God. Everything is possible with God. I'd circle that if you have your Bible open. And then Peter began to speak up. We've given up everything to follow you, he said. You always notice Peter always wants to speak up. Hey, Jesus, let me talk. (laughs) He didn't even ask. He just does it. Yes, Jesus replied, and I assure you that everyone who has given up house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or property for my sake and for the good news will receive now and return a hundred times as many houses, brothers and sisters and mothers and children and property along with the persecution and in the world to come, the person will have eternal life. But many who are the greatest now will be least important then and those who seem least important now will be the greatest. Man, this is a long teaching about the rich young ruler. And there's so many principles I could mine out of this. And I've even just written a couple questions here. In this section, we call this refusing discipleship. This one refuses. Most of the time when you see this great challenge from Jesus, they bow their head, they commit their life, they seek, they follow, they run after Jesus, but not here. This one decides my possessions are more valuable than the king. My possessions mean more to me than Jesus. I would like to have eternal life. I would like to follow him, but I want to hold on to this stuff, to this earth stuff, so he does. But look there, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I would just write in the word, follow. Follow Jesus. When we follow Christ, he begins to shape all these areas of our life, and he begins to transform us, and it's a process, and it's a work called sanctification that he does until we go to heaven. Look at these little bullets right there in the middle of your worship guide. When God blesses us with an economic prosperity, he's given us a ministry opportunity. In this room, I would say we're incredibly rich. If you compared it to the house that our students just built, we are super rich. I would say every one of you live in a place bigger than that house. And all of you, I bet, have running water, and you have power, and then you have own and own, and we have all these things of this world. And we're so blessed, but if we're not careful, We go, whoa, it's me. I don't have what John has. I don't have what Susie has. I want this. I want that. 
But we're rich, church. The Western world, a Larry Burkett said one time, God will hold the Western world responsible to finance the Great Commission because of the great wealth that God has poured out on the church. How many of you believe that we're wealthy, church? We are wealthy. We're wealthy with the gospel above all things, the gospel of the good news of Jesus. But we're also wealthy in what he's given us materially and some more than others. And then I just wrote in here, what's our attitude toward money? Just right there, tension. That's what money does. When you don't have it, you're stressed out. When you've got it, you're trying to figure out, how can I get a little bit more? And then how do I manage it? And how do I keep up with it? And how do I manage my stuff? Now I understand that I live in this world just like you. And money is one of those divine tests that the Father gives us to see how we're going to steward how we're going to manage that which he's entrusted to us and one day we will give an account to him for that which we have been given and all i know is i think god i am so blessed incredibly rich father my friends are rich you you've given and some have more than others and i don't totally understand that but jesus says you lack one thing to this rich young ruler you need to pick up your you need to Lay it down. You need to sell your possessions, give it to the poor, and come follow me. And Jesus might ask them out here to lay down what they've got and go follow him to be a missionary. I don't know. Or he might ask you to lay this down, or he might ask you to give more. I, this is an individual, personal relationship with Jesus. But what I do know is when we have wealth, it so easily clouds us up from the kingdom. And sometimes to have wealth, we go, oh, God, to be blessed, to be rich. And I, I pray that prayer with you. I understand that. But sometimes our wealth keeps us from the kingdom because all the countries that I've preached all over the world, every time I've gone into Mathori slum in Africa, the jungles of Venezuela, all over Mexico, Israel, Africa, where Brazil, wherever I've been, and there have been poor and oppressed people. The ones that are the most poor, the ones that are the most oppressed, I think are the most hungry the gospel i remember one time preaching we had just built a church in brazil and it was in hasifi brazil hasifi starts with an r they explained that one to me <laughs> but hasifi right across the coast from africa i remember walking in and we'd worked all week along the poor nationals of their country it was a marvelous experience we built this open air and we had a roof on it you know and windows no windows in it and got ready for the dedication service and they go pastor we want you to preach i go wow what an honor and we walked in the place was packed people were sitting in each other's laps and then i looked out the window there were more people outside the window than there were in and then they started a carnival outside with popcorn machines and stuff it was a dadgum just fiesta man it was just wild and crazy and those people were so thrilled about the church of Jesus Christ being in their community. And I thought, who's the richest? Me, when I come back to this place here that I love, called Christ Community, it's my home? Or was it to be in that poor place there in Hasifi, Brazil, where the Gospels just seemed to ring out and they were so hungry? So they weren't worried about selling their possessions because most of them didn't have many possessions. Just saying, just think about here. Let it process in your heart. But this young man here, and um, he here's what I'd say to us. The affluence of riches will mess us up sometimes. And affluence destroys a teachable spirit because it creates a false sense of power 
and authority. And I'm not asking you not to pray for riches or not to pray for affluence. But what I would say is, God, help us to pray, and we ask you for great things. But then, God, teach us to hold it lightly. That somehow, God, if it needs to run through our fingers and it needs to bless somebody else, give us a heart to be willing to do that, if that's what you say. Oh, I've watched around here so many times where people will come and will give a sacrificial gift. And in that sacrificial gift, something gets done. Or they give their best gift. They give their first fruits. And then some will just tell me, I've had people tell me this in this church over the years. Pastor, I'm wealthy. And I go, do you want to become a member? And then they go, but pastor, I've got a problem. My stuff owns me. I couldn't let go of my stuff. I've got too much. And they'll walk away. And I want to bring them to this passage and say, have you ever read about the rich young ruler? Jesus asked him to do something and he walked away. But just let it speak to your heart here. And then he talks about going through the eye of the needle. There in Israel, there is that place with a little four-foot gate. And some people say, yeah, the camels should try to squeeze through that darn, darning needle and, and go through. And like, oh, whatever. But here's what he's saying. Basically, it's impossible. If we don't submit and surrender our wealth to Jesus Christ, we miss out on what God has. It doesn't mean that we're not going to have stuff. That's not what I think the Scripture says. But it does mean that our stuff belongs to Him. And it does mean that if God calls us to give up some stuff, we have to give it to Him. Because I read this the other day, and I thought, man, this is a tough statement, but it's true. See, if it really belongs to Him, then if He decides to take a little bit of it, I'm not near as worried about it because it wasn't mine anyway. But when it's mine, like, watch this, watch this. We ought to bring the little kids in here with an object lesson, and all of them get up here with goldfish and animal crackers and go, here, would you share your crackers with the congregation? No, no. And every once in a while, I'll meet a little kid, and they'll walk up and they'll go, Pastor, would you like to have one? Oh, gee, I'll go buy that kid a case of cookies. You know what I'm saying? And it's just neat. And I don't know if he was maybe full. Maybe he didn't want any more. I don't know. Or maybe that little boy or girl just had a heart of sharing. Oh, man, that'd be great because they've been learning about the love and the sharing of Christ. The other day I was sitting with my grandson, and he loves to share. Uh, and, and, but the other day he had a little something. He, no, Pop, no. I looked at him. I said, what? He said, It's mine. I said, you got a hundred. I know, need a hundred and one. No, he didn't say that. But he, he wasn't quite willing to share. And I said, you know what? Jesus loves to share. Put his little head down. Here. Here, Pop, you can share this one. He's just a reflection of me and you, isn't he? Your son. Oh, isn't that so cute? Tell you what, take your stuff. And somebody says, hey, can I use it? You go, nope, nope, go get your own. Okay, let's keep going. Affluence destroys teachability. It destroys a teachable spirit. And look at, look, I think there's a scripture that's going to come up uh, from Timothy. God has given us richly everything to enjoy. So here, I, I don't want you to walk out and say, oh, I can't enjoy anything. Yeah, you can. God has given us life. He's given us abundant life in Jesus' name. And the church said, abundant, outrageous life in Christ. But he's also given us all these things, and it might be that he wants us to, to share, to enjoy it, but also it's like, share it. Share freely. You've been freely given. Freely share. Have great generosity. We'll keep moving because that's a whole other text in itself. But the thing is, God, help. Here, here's what I'd write down. This, this is a kingdom thought this morning. God, please help me to not let my stuff or my possessions own me. In this Western world, it's very hard to let go of that. But God, give me a heart to 
freely hold it that lord that if you need it if you want it i'll offer it up to you christ you do when we built this building people sacrificed when we built our second building we had a big building campaign and many gave and many didn't many said they'd give and they didn't give and uh, the way i figured they got an answer to the lord it's better not to commit not give but i gotta tell you i've watched it over the years people just come in and they would pay off their pledge and they would pay this and they would give and they would sacrifice and they would do this because they, we want to build a place for children and youth. We want to build a place that will be for the next generation. See, let me tell you right now, if we hadn't built that building, we'd be dead free. Hallelujah. But we sure needed that. At that time, our church was so big, Chrissy would come into staff meetings going, I had six kids in the windowsills last weekend kids were packed everywhere it was crazy so we built the building and sometimes now people are like well do we really need that building well guess what you can't give it back and we we love that building we utilize that building but hey it might just be that god's going to lead somebody say you know what i want to give a gift and you know what we would receive it in jesus name let's keep moving here write down this last thought don't dabble in christianity i think that's what jesus would say to the rich young ruler today don't dabble around don't play with it Commit yourself to me. Move on with me. And look at this right here. Put a box around it. How much can I keep, Warren Wearsby says. Calculation and crucifixion do not agree. I just want you to ponder that thought. Just ponder. I ain't been doing much pondering lately. Do a reflection. Reflect on that statement and see if God will speak to your heart. He might. I just write up beside that Galatians 2.20. As I fought on this this week, I thought I am crucified with Christ. It's not I who lives, but Christ who lives in me by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Starts off, I'm crucified. The crucified life is what Christ calls you and I to. But he also calls us to resurrection. God, thank you for the attitude that you want us to have toward money. You want us to have a a teachable spirit. Lord, and then he goes on how he's going to bless this and and everything's possible with God. All right, let's move on. Here, verse 32. Can you jump down to verse 32? Now, we're going to turn the corner. Jesus has been giving all these teachings. And see, this last teaching that I just shared with you about possessions, this guy had probably just heard the great divorce teaching that we talked about last weekend. And then he hears this, and now Jesus turns the corner. Jesus turns it around spiritually. Jesus turns his head his heart, his face toward Jerusalem. And as we look at this, and then he begins to make the prediction. Look there in verse 32 with me. And they were now on their way to Jerusalem, and Jesus is walking ahead of them. The disciples were filled with awe, and the people following behind were overwhelmed with fear. Taking the 12 disciples aside, Jesus once more began to describe everything that was about to happen to him. Listen, he said. We're going up to Jerusalem where the Son of Man must be betrayed. To the leading priests, to the teachers of the religious law, they will sentence him to die and hand him over to the Romans and they will mock him and spit on him, flog him with a whip. They'll kill him. But after three days, he'll rise again. And then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came over and spoke to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do us a favor. Now, let's just stop there. You know, sometimes... When you, um, Chuck, can somebody hit that fan? Uh, sometimes when you uh, want a favor, hey, do you ever ask somebody a favor? Hey, could you just do me a favor? J- just a little favor? Hey, just a big favor? Well, here they go. Could you just do me a, a favor? But look at this favor. Look at it. Verse 36. 
what is your request? He asked. They replied, when you sit on your glorious throne, we want to sit in the places of honor next to you, one on the right and one on your left. But Jesus said to them, you don't know what you're asking. And he's asked that here. Wait a minute, lost my place. Help me, help me. What verse am I in? Here we go, I got it. Never mind. Huh? 38. You don't know what you're asking? Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering I'm about to drink? Are you able to be baptized with the baptism of suffering I must be baptized with? Oh, yes, they replied, we're able. Then Jesus told them, well, you indeed drink from my bitter cup and be baptized with my baptism of suffering, but I have no right to say who will sit on my right or my left, and God has prepared those places for the ones he has chosen. And when the ten other disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were indignant. So Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers in this world were lorded over their people, and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it would be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first among you must be a slave of everyone else. For even the Son of Man, listen, for even the Son of Man, did not come to be served, but to serve others. And to give his life as a ransom for others. There it is, Jesus Christ, the great ransom. And he predicts for the third time where he's going. And it's this final movement of the gospel. And as we continue through this gospel of Mark, we will go up to the cross in Calvary. We'll go to the resurrection. It's just a beautiful Easter story, if you will. But these disciples, these ones that had gathered around, there's the disciples, and there's these loose followers, and there's these crowd of hearers that hear all this teaching of Jesus. And the teaching of Jesus, let me say this, the teaching of Jesus has always involved a cost. It costs to be my disciple, Jesus said. You must deny yourself, pick up your cross daily, and follow after me. It costs Jesus Christ his life. It costs us our lives, that we give our lives away, that we're bought. And so here it is. Jesus is headed toward Jerusalem. The ultimate collision is coming over the next few weeks as we begin continue to read this gospel. And as he describes his trial and his mocking and his torture and his death on the cross, and then he talks about resurrection. But here's what I want to ask you. These guys are like, but Jesus, I want to sit on the right. I want to sit on the left. I want the best seat. And you know, sometimes we go, I want the best seat. And Jesus is like, no, no. That's reserved for somebody else. But it's not you. And here's what I, I, I was thinking about this today. What would you ask Jesus right now if you just asked him one question? If Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? If Jesus just comes up this afternoon and says, and what would you have me do for you? Just think about that question. What do you want Jesus to do for you? Oh, Jesus, I tell you what. I wish you'd just quit letting it rain so much. Rain, rain, rain. In the last 10 years, all we did is complain. Drought, drought, drought. Now it rain, rain, rain. And somebody say, no, Jesus, if you just wouldn't let weeds grow in my yard, that would be enough. Jesus, if you would just do this. Jesus, if you would just do that. Oh, I pray there'd be something deep in our hearts that we would want from Christ. Something that would be spiritual. Something that would be eternal. Some of you say, no, Jesus, I just want to parent my kids, but they're hard. <laughs> Could you just make it a little easier? What would that one thing be? And yet, in this passage, Jesus turns it and he flips it toward redemption. And let's, let's move to this last section. Verse 46. I preached on this guy in the Spanish when I've been down there. Bartimeo, Bartimaeus, I love it. Listen to it. 
Then they reached Jericho, and as Jesus and his disciples left town, a large crowd followed him. And a blind beggar named Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, was sitting beside the road. When Bartimaeus heard that Jesus of Nazareth was nearby, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Be quiet. Many of the people yelled at him, but he only shouted louder, Son of David, have mercy on me. And when Jesus heard him, he stopped and said, Tell him to come here. So they called the blind man, cheer up. They said, come on, he's calling you. And Bartimaeus threw aside his coat. He jumped up and he came to Jesus. And what do you want me to do for you? Here it is, the second time he asked this question. What do you want me to do for you? My rabbi, the blind man said, I want to see. I want to see Jesus. And Jesus said to him, go for your faith has healed you. And instantly the man could see and he followed Jesus down the road. Jesus healed a blind beggar and i've preached on it we could talk about the blind beggar to one or two this afternoon but we won't but what i want to kind of try to flip it on you today is that sin always loads us with self-interest and sin always causes me and you to be a little more selfish but this guy has a very serious legitimate need he's blind he's poor he's pushed down but he's heard, he's got ears, he can hear. He's heard the teachings of Rabbi Jesus. And he just wants to see. And he has faith that if Jesus responds, he'll see again. His eyesight will be restored. And it is, and I love this. And yet, this man's not like, Jesus, I want prominence. I want position. I want power. Jesus, I, I just want to see. And, and the scripture says that Jesus was angry when these guys tried to push him aside. And Jesus like, no, no, no. Don't push aside the children. Don't push aside the people that are destitute and poor and oppressed and are hurting. Listen to them. Meet with them. It's that rescuing grace of God. That's what's here today. That grace that woos, that pursues us. That relentless love of God is in here this morning. And if it's got a hold of you, amen. And if it hadn't, just cry uncle. Just cry grace. Just cry Jesus, have mercy on this soul. Jesus, I just want you. Lord, you're enough. Lord, I present my, my gifts, my possessions, my relationships my life lord i just give it to you lord i just need you lord just give me grace lord just release me from the bondage that i'm in and it could be that your wealth is your bondage it could be that your poverty is your bondage it could be that your health is your bondage it could be that your attitude is pitiful and it's your bondage. i don't know what your bondage is but cry out to jesus that's what i see from bartimaeus bartimaeus went for it bartimaeus cried out to a holy god bartimaeus cried out to jesus because he knew jesus could do something about it i love jesus don't you church don't you church jesus that's the name i love every morning when i wake up the first thing i say is good morning father i love you lord jesus christ this is your day and then i get up and then we begin to face it. This is a day that the Lord has made. I will what? Rejoice and be glad. And say, I ain't rejoicing. It rained all weekend. I'm miserable. Hey, let me tell you what happened to me. That had surgery and the doctor said this. He goes, Keith, you can't do anything for a week. You can't pick over 10 pounds. You can't pick up your grandkids. You can't do this. And you can't walk. What you talking about, Willis? I can't walk. You see, I'm addicted to walk like runners. My, my kids will tell you, Pop loves to walk. 
I basically tell Mama, uh, Donna, good morning, love her, whatever, and I'm out the door putting my shoes on. Man, I, I love to walk. He said, you can't walk because we can't handle the blood pumping to your head. might rip your stitches open. I moped all weekend in Jesus' name. Some of you are saying, well, here, why don't you do a few laps for me when you get well? I will. I plan on it. Because, I, man, I just I miss it. And, and sometimes we mope about just dumb stuff, and that was kind of dumb. I was praising him, though, that I got cancer-free. I was praising him for the, all the women that had surgery the last four weeks and are getting healing in Jesus' name. We're praying for Debbie right now to have healing in Jesus' name. Amen. Our God is a healer. Amen. Man, I, I don't back all that. Anyway, so here it is. This story, front and center. Some people say, oh, it's Bartimaeus. No, front and center is Jesus. Jesus is the object of this story. He's the object of Bartimaeus, and he cries out for him. And G Mark wants us to focus on the, the glory and the majesty and the importance of Jesus Christ, not of this man that's unimportant, no name, whatever. His name's Bartimaeus. He wants us to focus on Jesus, how great he is, that he cares. And here's the other thing. Let, let me share. Oh, man, I want to preach. i, I got to stop, and i got to tell you this. Bartimaeus interrupts Jesus, and Jesus stops. If you'll come to the piano now. And Jesus stops on the interruption. You know what I know? You have never interrupted Jesus. No interruption to Jesus is a bother. When you're interrupted with a health scare, a financial scare, a challenge in your life, you're interrupted in your life, that's a great place to go, Jesus, I'm glad you're not bothered by interruptions. But Lord, this has my attention. And God, I submit, I surrender, and I want to hear from you, God. God, I want you to move in my life. God, I want you to do something significant in the church said. And that's a word from God this morning. And we could go on and on. But if I, if I do that, all the workers, they will quit and we'll have bigger problems next weekend. Okay, so... Next weekend, we're going to have a little new twist at Christ Community. I won't tell you what it is, but I think you'll like it. You'll want to be here. And uh, let's pray together, and we'll walk out and love one another. Lord Jesus, we are grateful for your house and for the love of Christ. And Lord, I pray that you'd give us great strength, and you would direct our path, and you would lead us. And Lord, cause us to cry out to you and to be followers of Christ. Lord, may we follow you with whole hearts. Lord, may our interruptions, may our cries for mercy stop you, and may your mercy overflow. Lord, you were enough for Bartimaeus. You were his hope. May you be our hope in Jesus' name. Now, right now, you can't go yet. i got a feeling two blanks. You'll all ask me at the door, and you'll drive me nuts. Bartimaeus knows that he has no hope but Jesus Christ. No hope but Christ. And you and I, friend, we have no hope but the blessed Savior, Jesus. And in that little last thing, you can draw a box around the gospel equation. But divine power plus divine compassion equals, listen, divine power plus divine compassion equals everything you need. And I, I'd write under there right now, and this is my last statement, and you can go. Jesus is everything you need. He is enough. He is complete. He's a God to be praised. Hey, join us Wednesday night, 615 upstairs, downstairs, the kids. Blake will have the theater filled with students. We hope you'll be here Wednesday night, 615. Bless you.